Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses, our South Shore, Gulf Coast Online, and here at Little Creek to the sixth week in our series entitled The Book of Revelation. Come on. Can we just welcome our other campuses right now that are joining us? Well, we are in a seven-week series. By the way, I've never done a seven-week series before on a weekend. As the longest series we've ever done, we will finish up next week, uh, and then we will kick off another series for November, the first three weeks of November. It's amazing how fast this year uh, is going by. Uh, if you weren't here last week, if you weren't here, we've been talking for two weeks on the tribulation, what the tribulation is, how, what happens during the tribulation, all the different concurrent things that are taking place during the tribulation. Today, I want to talk to you about, out of Revelation chapter 19 and 20, I want to talk to you about the millennial reign of Christ. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. My message is entitled today, The King Has Come. There is a day coming when Jesus will return and set up his earthly kingdom in Jerusalem and will rule and reign with his people for a thousand years. I want to talk to you about that today. Speaking of the Lord's return in the end times, Reverend Boudreaux. I was a part-time Baptist pastor at a local church, and Pastor Thibodeau was a minister of the local Methodist church, and both of their churches were right across the street from one another, so they wanted to be good preachers and good citizens, and they were both standing by the road, and they were pounding a sign right in front of both of their churches, and here, here's what the sign said. You guys ready? Here, here's what the sign said. It says, the end is near. Turn yourself round before it's too late. As a car sped past them, the driver leaned out of his window and yelled, you guys are religious nuts. From the curve in the road, they heard screeching tires and then a big splash. Reverend Bujo turned to Reverend Thibodeau and said, do you think maybe next time we ought to just put a sign out that says bridge out? Come on, somebody. <laughs> be careful, you religious nut friends. Come on, be careful. They're here to help you. Hey, I'm going to ask you guys to take your notes out as well, because in your notes, we put a graph. We put, that was good. We put a graph, and we've been looking at it the last six weeks. Again, we'll look at it another week next week. And I want to talk to you through this, uh, because this is where we are. We've been going through this graph. I hope this has been helpful, or chart, whatever you want to call it, chart. I hope this has been helpful for you guys. Where we're living right now is we're living in what's called the church age, all right? People are, are we're leading people to Christ. They're being discipled. Great things are happening here. Uh, the kingdom of God is expanding in the earth. Uh, and now watch this. And then there's an event coming. Now, now listen to me close. There's an event coming. I, I cannot reteach every one of my messages, but week three, I talked about this event called the rapture. Now, where did I get that term from, the rapture? Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, watch this. He says, there's coming a moment when Jesus is going to return in the clouds. By the way, there is a difference between the rapture of believers and the second coming of Christ. These are two different events the way that we see it in Scripture. At the rapture, Christ does not come all the way back to earth. He comes to the clouds and he snatches away his church. Paul said in Corinthians, I taught this week three. He says, not all will sleep. Not all are going to die. There's a generation of people that are believers that will not die physically, but they will be, quote, on the earth when the Lord comes in the clouds and he raptures. The Greek word harpazo, Paul put it in, and in, in, uh, Paul used the word harpazo. It's the word to snatch away. Everyone say snatch away. Well, where does the word rapture come from? Again, the New Testament was written in Greek, all right? 
So it's the word harpazo translated, the first Bible translated outside of Greek, the Latin, and it's the Latin word raptur. And that's where the word rapture comes from. So we use the word, it's actually a Latin word, but it comes from this in 1 Thessalonians when Paul says that people will be believers. Those that trust Christ will be snatched away. Say, pastor, has that ever happened before? Come on. So you're telling me, hold on. Steve, you're telling me people are going to be on the earth that are believers. And Christ is going to come in the clouds and rapture them up. Has that ever happened before? The answer is yes. As a matter of fact, uh, if you read the Old Testament, Enoch, the Bible says, Enoch, watch this, he walked with God and he was not. So in other words, God raptured him up. Another man in the Old Testament, Elijah. Elisha, the protege of Elijah, they went down to a brook and they went down to this brook and the Bible says, and they were having this dialogue, it was kind of the passing of the baton, he put his mantle on him and, uh, as he's, and, and the Bible says his chariot comes and Elijah, all right, the older man, is actually caught up and he never died by way of the grave. So, so we're not talking about something, the rapture's not something that's been unprecedented. In other words, it's happened in the Bible before. Of course, the greatest example is Jesus, our Lord himself. In Acts chapter 1, he's on the Mount of Olives, and he ascends up to the Father. All right, I mean, again, whether it's Enoch, well, we don't want to use Jesus, he's you. Okay, good, then use Enoch, use Elijah. There's coming a moment when the believers that are on the earth, when the Lord comes, he's going to come, and he's going to catch us away. He does not come all the way back, but he comes right here in the clouds. Paul says it real clear, 1 Thessalonians 4. What happens then, Pastor Steve? All right. Well, the Antichrist emerges on the earth, and there's seven years long, seven years called the tribulation. Now, where do the believers go? Because there's two concurrent things that are happening, all right? So believers go up to heaven to meet the other believers. Well, these, watch this, these believers that are raptured up, immediately, the Bible teaches they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me qualify what the judgment seat of Christ is and what it's not. Again, this was uh, two weeks ago and a little bit last week. Believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not going to be judged whether or not we make heaven, all right? We go to heaven based upon our faith in Christ. But the judgment seat of Christ is we are our works. Everyone say works. Our works are judged, what we did for Christ after we came to Christ. So the judgment seat of Christ is not about whether or not you go to heaven. It's about what you do in eternity with Christ, which is going to become part of the last half of the message today, what you did for Christ. I think we need to be careful because we put so much of an emphasis on our works don't save us. You're right. It's our faith in Christ's work on the cross that saves us. But don't ever forget this. Your works help to save other people as you share what Christ has done for you. Works are very, very important. They just don't save you. Very, very important. Okay, so we're at the judgment seat of Christ now. Then we enter into what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is a a seven-year wedding feast. Very powerful imagery taken from the Jewish festival or the Jewish wedding feast. Uh, Takes place seven days long. Now, this is a seven-year process. Well, what's happening? So this is happening in heaven. Again, I've taught all this. Uh, in the previous weeks, but on the earth, they're now experiencing this tribulation. So now for three and a half years, uh, things are, the, the Antichrist deceives people. Remember, the Antichrist is not a religious leader. That's the false prophet. The Antichrist is a political leader that steps on the scene. Daniel talks about this. He cuts a covenant with Israel. He cuts in a peace agreement with Israel, and Israel actually starts rebuilding their temple, the third temple, all right? And they start having sacrifice again. By the way, we had our golf tournament Friday. It's 
Some guys came and said, Pastor, you know what? We went online and we checked it out. And it's really true. So what do you mean? He goes, man, I went on and I Googled uh, the third temple in Israel. And you, by the way, you can do this. And it's really true. They've got like the designs. So pastor, it's really cool. We did a video fly through of the third temple. You can go online and you can see this. And so uh, they've designed this whole thing. They're waiting. Well, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for, they're waiting for the Dome of the Rock, the Islamic mosque that's on there. Somehow that's going to be removed and they're going to get permission to do this. I'm going to tell you exactly. Let me give you my opinion. I think the Antichrist helps the broker a deal to make this happen. The bottom line is at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, Daniel talks about this. Jesus talks about it in Mark 13 and the book of Revelation. We learned about it uh, two weeks ago. At the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist himself, watch this. Paul says this in Thessalonians. Last week I spoke about, I've done it three weeks in a row, talked about this event. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that the Antichrist walks into the temple, all right? This is the midway point of the tribulation. And he sits down, he goes into the Holy of Holies, he sits down and he declares himself to be God. That's called the abomination of desolation. That's a pretty radical thing. When that happens, he breaks his covenant with Israel, all right, his agreement with Israel, all hell busts loose. He slaughters 144,000 Christian Jews that became, that were born again in the first half. And now the trumpets and the bowls, I mean, there's tremendous wrath that's released on the earth. And the Antichrist sets up in Jerusalem his kingdom. And now he begins to rule out of Jerusalem. Pretty radical, isn't it? Well, we're still enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb up here. This is happening on the earth. We now come to the end of the tribulation. And by the way, that's where I ended my message last week. We come to the end of the tribulation and there's this battle, this huge battle called Armageddon. Armageddon is actually out of the book of Revelation. Megiddo, tell Megiddo there's a city right there in the Jezreel Valley. By the way, if you've ever been to Israel, it's the only valley that stretches from the Mediterranean all the way to the Jordan River. And right there, there's 200 million strong is going to come. And an army is going to come against Israel at this point in time. And they're going to begin the battle. Well, what happens, Pastor? I'll tell you what happens. That as they're marching on Jerusalem and get ready to wipe the place out, now Christ comes back. He comes back with his people and he comes all the way back. And where does Christ come back? This is amazing. It's in Zechariah 4. I read it to you last week. The Bible says that he comes back and he comes back on the Mount of Olives and splits the Mount of Olives in two. Isn't it interesting that he ascends up to the Father at the Mount of Olives and that's the exact place that he comes back? That's pretty cool, huh? So, so now what happens, and this is the message today, so we're moving through this chart. Now I'm going to have to stop next week because my chart's done. Okay, but anyway, so, so, so he comes back, but he doesn't come back alone. He comes back with us. Remember, the Bible calls Jesus the groom and he calls the church his bride. That's why I tell ladies, don't get freaked out when God calls you his son. He calls the men the bride. We're the bride of Christ. So he comes back with the bride of Christ. He sets up Jesus. What he does is he throws the antichrist. I'm going to read this in a little bit. He throws the antichrist right here and the false prophet. The Antichrist in the Bible is called the beast. He's a political leader and the false prophet. Those two are thrown into the lake of fire. But something happens to Satan differently during this period. And now he kicks off Jesus himself, sits down in this temple, and he rules from Jerusalem, but he doesn't do it alone. He's the leader, but he has his people. And now we rule and reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. At the end of the millennial reign, this is the... 
a millennium means a thousand. The millennial is what happens during those thousand years. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so, so at the end of this, next week's message, I'm going to talk about the great white throne judgment and then the John chapter 21, where John sees this new heaven and this new earth coming down. It's really amazing. And so I'm going to end up talking about the great white throne judgment, which Christians, by the way, will not, we will not be at the great white throne judgment. Unbelievers will be judged there. And I'm going to talk about the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, if you have your Bible, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. I want to talk to you about four aspects of the millennial kingdom. Four aspects. Of, this is a really interesting conversation. By the way, uh, th this is, we've talked about it as a lead team. We're probably going to do a class because we're in so many questions people have sent in and asked me throughout this. We're probably going to do a class next year. It won't be on a weekend. Uh, we'll have some different teachers teaching it. This material will go much, much deeper. But today I want to talk to you about the millennial kingdom. What happens during this millennial kingdom. Number one, the millennial kingdom is a time of peace on earth. Revelation chapter 20. Watch this. John, he's got this vision and here's what he sees. Then I saw an angel. This angel comes down from heaven having the key to this bottomless pit, not the lake of fire. That's important. I have this key to this, this angel has his key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. So Satan is bound and he's placed somewhere for a thousand years. He's put in, he's, he's under chains and he's placed somewhere. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, not the lake of fire, but the bottomless pit. I'll explain why in just a moment. And he shut him up. And he set a seal on him so that he should, watch this. And he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. Let's stop right there just for one moment. Don't ever forget this. The only power the devil has over your life is the power of deception. That's the only power. That's what he is. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. You, you know, in the corporate world, oh, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was real big. Uh, it still is today, you know, what is your, what is your mission statement? You know, what, what is your mission statement? What is your purpose, vision, mission statement? Which I think is all good stuff. Well, let me tell you in John chapter 10, what Jesus, watch this, what Jesus said, the mission statement of the devil is. Watch this. This is what Jesus said. He said, the devil's mission statement, Jesus said about the devil, John 10, 10. Jesus said, let me tell you the devil's mission statement. It's to steal. Everyone say steal, say kill and say destroy. Okay, don't ever forget this. The devil's not your friend. Anybody who wants to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you, they're not your friend. I remember preaching to kids, you know, in my 20s, and I'd have some, some kids, teenagers sometimes, well, you know what, man? You know, the devil, you know, he's a lot funner, but everybody, no, 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 no. No, he wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill you, kill you physically. He'd love to kill your purpose. He wants to destroy your potential and your purpose in God and your love for God. So just to, to, so, but he does it through deception. And that's why it's so important for us to be in this book. The old, there's only one weapon against deception and that's truth. And that's why, listen, be honest. The moment you make a decision, I'm going to spend time in the Bible. There's more distractions that come, more things that come up, more just every, why is that? Because the devil will do anything to keep you out of this book. You're only deceived to the degree that you don't know truth. 
All right, does that make sense? Well, there's coming a moment where the devil, he's thrown into this pit for a thousand years and he no longer can deceive the nations. Well, something radically happens then in the earth, all right? We're not on the new earth yet, that's next week, all right? Well, there's a thousand years, now they're finished, and after the thousand years, these things, he must be released. So the enemy is, so Satan is bound for a thousand years, the Bible says, at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released for a little while. What happens then? I'll tell you what happens then. There's an amazing battle that happens. This, this is a peaceful time, and I'm going to explain my last, my fourth point. I'm going to come back to this scripture. But what's happening on the earth during this millennial reign? I'll tell you, it's a time of peace. There's no more devil. There's no more deception. There's no more armies. There's no more strife. He's locked up. That's where the devil, he's locked up so he can't deceive people any longer. By the way, people are going to be born to the millennial kingdom. I don't have time to unpack all that right now. We'll go much more deeper into that uh, uh, during this class. Well, well what, what, is, what is happening during that time? Watch this. This is really cool. There's tremendous harmony as well in the millennial kingdom between humans and animals. It's really, really interesting. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve chose and disobeyed God? What happened prior to that? There was a tremendous harmony between the animal kingdom and, and God's and human beings. Let me read it. In, 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 in Isaiah chapter 11, there's a picture of the millennial kingdom. You talk about a time of peace, a time of rest in God's creation, a time of harmony. This is during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Let me explain it right here. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. That's pretty unusual. Millennial kingdom. The leopard shall lie down with the younger goat the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. That's in the middle, little kingdom. So that's why I know that there's kids. I know that people are going to be born during that time, but there's going to be a difference, and I'll explain it in a moment. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole in the millennial kingdom. Whoa. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what's interesting is, is during this millennial kingdom, all of creation comes under subjugation to Christ's rulership. Remember, he's physically, literally in Jerusalem, ruling the world. Everything that was forfeited at the fall in Genesis 3, we see restored in the millennial kingdom, Isaiah 11 and Revelation 20. We see a restoration happening here. Interesting, I, I, I so appreciate our worship teams and all of our campuses and the presence of the Lord. And sometimes I think, man, I wish, you know, I, I wish we could just enjoy a little bit more of worship, even in our car, the worship music and just the prayer. Let me tell you, in the millennial kingdom, you'll be able to enjoy that. There'll be no strife. There'll be peace, the presence of God. I mean, how many of y'all looking forward to that? Come on. Anybody? I mean, I'm looking forward to that, man. No more anxiety, no more depression. That, that's, I'm looking forward to that. Very, very, very powerful. So in the millennial kingdom, number one, it'll be a time of what? Say it, a time of peace, a time of peace. Number two, now this is when I, I'm, I'm gonna go up another level. I want everybody to lean in right now. This is very interesting. This is all in scripture. I'm gonna back all this up with scripture, all right? The millennial kingdom. Bring my chart up real quick. Again, I just wanna show everybody because I liked it through rehearsing. I'm talking, we are right here during this 
John's having a vision of what's going to happen. We're not, we're, we're living back here right now, but I'm talking about, I'm teaching about what life is going to be like on this, at, during this time, all right? This is the time. This is the thousand years, all right? A literal thousand years, I believe the Bible teaches. The millennial kingdom, number two, is a time of Christ's, watch this, Christ's earthly rule and ours with him. Now, now hear me closely on this. When Jesus comes back at the second coming, all the way back to earth, remember the rapture, he comes back to the clouds, snatches up his church, we go, judgment seat of Christ, marriage up a lamb. But when he comes all the way to earth, to Jerusalem, all right, sets up his earthly kingdom that's called the second coming, he's bringing, he's bringing us with him. Now listen to what Revelation chapter 20 says. And I saw thrones. John, John's having a, a vision. This is fascinating stuff. John says this. He says, I saw thrones and they sat on them. Who's they? And judgment, I'll explain. And judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Whoa, pastor, what, what's going on here? I'll tell you exactly what's going on here. Do you remember during the tribulation, the church is raptured up, but people still get saved during the tribulation. Gentiles that give their hearts to Christ are immediately martyred. Remember week four, I talked about that. I talked about people are, they're immediately martyred. So the church is not gathering. You get saved. And one of the reasons why they're getting martyred is, remember the, the Antichrist, somebody told me yesterday, I'm talking too fast, so I'm gonna talk slower. The, I'm not running for governor. But so anyway, so the, the, the watch this, the, the Antichrist, one of the things he does to control the world is he, he controls the economic system. And remember, in order to buy and sell, I taught this a week and two ago, or last week and the previous week. One of the ways that you, the only way that you could buy or sell is you had to take a mark of the beast on your forehead or on your hand, it says, and what was the numbers? What were they? 666, okay? Well, what happens if you refuse that? You're immediately martyred. Well, John sees these people that are martyred. So, so there are three different groups of people that come back with Christ. Number one, those that are martyred for their faith. Number two, those that were raptured. And number three, those that are already in heaven previous to the rapture, all right? Maybe your mom or your dad that were believers that are already in heaven. Okay, so that group, those that are raptured, that group, and those that were martyred for their faith. During the tribulation, all three of these groups come back together. Well, what do they do? They come back with Christ, and the Bible says that they rule. This is radical, but this is in the Bible. They rule and reign with Christ. He's the leader, but they are the vice regents and the magistrates helping to rule his kingdom. Does this make sense? Revelation chapter 2, that's what he told the church in Thyatira. I'm going to go back. This was week 2. Week two, here's what he says. We're talking about what are we going to be doing? What are Christians going to be doing during the millennial reign of Christ? We're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ on the earth, all right, physically. And when it, this is what week two, John has this revelation. This is all week two. And John, remember, wrote to seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. One of the churches he wrote to was Tyratar. In that church, he spoke what's going to happen if you overcome you're going to inherit this earthly rulership with them. But that truth is also applicable to all generations of Christians. 
because they, they, they enter into this. And he who overcomes, Jesus is talking, telling John to write to the church at Thyatira, and he who overcomes and keeps my works, my works, it's very important here, until the end. Keep leading people to Christ. Keep serving the Lord. Keep helping people, all right? To him, I will give power over the nations. He's talking about a person. He's talking about people there, all right? Now he flips, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So he talks about people, and then he talks about Jesus, and then he intermingles the two. Jesus is the ruler, but we are the vice rulers with him, and he shall rule with them a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. This is powerful stuff. Say, pastor, what are you talking about? It's in the Bible. Matter of fact, I'll give you the words of Jesus. In Luke, another thing, Luke chapter uh, tw uh, 22, are talking about, I'm gonna say it very slowly. When Christ comes back, he comes back with his people, all right? Those that were martyred for Christ during the tribulation, those that were raptured prior to the tribulation, those that were already in heaven with Christ. Well, what are we doing? If we're gonna be among that number for believers, what are we? we're gonna be ruling and reigning with Christ under his authority, which is a physical kingdom that's set up in Jerusalem where he is ruling, and we are somehow going to be administrating and overseeing the nations. Luke chapter 22, verse 28, 28 but, you are those, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom and sit on the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is radical stuff, man. What is he talking about? He's talking about the millennial kingdom. He's talking about there's coming a time when every believer will rule and reign with Christ in a physical sense. Now, we spiritually rule and reign with Christ now in the sense that we, we have authority over sin as a Christian. Are you with me? We, we have authority over depression. We have authority over rejection. In Christ, everybody say in Christ. In Christ, when you're a Christian right now in the here and now, in Christ, spiritually speaking, you are in authority over that circumstance. You're an authority. You are not just forgiven. You ever seen the Bible say Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven? True, but a half-truth. You're also victorious. Are you with me? You're also an overcomer in Christ. You're also more than a conqueror. That's what the Bible calls you. But that's all spiritually speaking. But there's coming a time, literally, physically speaking, in the millennium where we rule and reign with Christ. Now, I'm going to press you just a little bit, and I taught a series five years ago and called, called heaven. What happens in the new earth, the new heaven, the new earth, which I'm going to be touching a little bit on next week. And I, I want to just, I want to, I want to suggest this to you. I want you to think about this thought. The gifts, the talents, and the abilities. Now, now listen to me. The gifts, talents, and abilities that you have, that God uniquely designed you with, and God placed in you, those gifts and talents and abilities, watch this, are used by God in your life for eternity. The only difference is when you're in eternity and you're in heaven and then you're on the new earth with Christ, guess what? There'll be no sin in your life. Do you think that God did all this intentionality and all that? Listen, you and I are gonna be ruling and reigning with Christ forever. That's what the Bible says. 
Well, guess what? He's going to use your unique gifts, talents, and ability. That, that ought to give you a sense of expectation. And you know what? I need to become the person that God called me to be in the here and now, because I'm going to be using that throughout eternity. I just won't have a sin nature in heaven. Just think about that. Very, very powerful truth. I'm going to unpack more of that next week. Okay, number three. The third thing that we see about the millennial kingdom. The third thing that we see is the millennial kingdom is a time of justice. A time of justice. Okay, listen to this. Our government as a democracy, our, the United States government, I know it's a republic, representative, former government, but the foundation of democracy, the, that, that our government, when George Washington and the founding fathers created the United States of America, there, there, was, there was supposed to be, and there is, and it sometimes and usually functions like this, three branches of government, right? The, exec, the, the, the judicial branch, Supreme Court being the highest of that, the executive branch, the, don't miss this, the office of the president, and then the congressional branch, the, 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 the Congress, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. And all three of those are supposed to be a, a balance of power, supposed to be. And, and it usually happens, but that's how it's supposed to work. A monarchy is different. A monarchy has a king. And a king, see, in, in our government, the president is not supposed to operate in a judicial sense. And the judicial courts, the Supreme Courts, are not supposed to legislate laws. Are, are you with me? Does this make, are y'all with me today? Y'all just going, oh, it's faster. I'm like, I'm ready. There's no saints games. Everybody relax. <laughs> so y'all to be fired up. You're going to beat all the Baptists to Piccadilly. I'm going to let you out on time. All right. My goal in life to beat the Baptists. But anyway, so, <laughs> and I went to Baptist seminary, but so, but, but here's the point. So, so in our government, the president is not supposed to make laws. And the president's not supposed to, and vice versa. Well, in a monarchy, in a kingdom, the king, guess what the king often does? He acts as in the judiciary sense. He judges. He judges. Can I tell you something? In the millennial reign of Christ, guess what Christ is going to be doing? He's going to be judging the nations. And guess what you and I are going to be doing? You and I, the Bible says this, you and I are going to be over the nations in the millennial kingdom. If you're a believer in Jesus, that's pretty heavy. You talk about, and there'll be, everybody say justice. Everybody say righteousness. There'll be pure, perfect equity, perfect fairness, perfect justice during the millennial reign of Christ. Perfect. Why? Because Christ will be ruling, the Bible says, with a scepter of righteousness. All right, A scepter is the Greek word poema, which means as a shepherd's rod. Remember, he is the lion, but he's also a lamb. He's going to be ruling and reigning, and we're going to be alongside it. Now, I want to just push out just one moment on the soapbox, all right, because I'm almost finished. I am so grateful there's coming a time where there's no more political spin. How many of y'all are grateful for that? I'm just grateful. And I know there's a lot of political leaders in our church and politicians, and we're grateful, and we pray for you. And all I would say is I would encourage you, please, no more political spin. Just be honest, be trustworthy, just say what you say, do what you say. Don't spin it because of Twitter or social media, and you can spin and get it. We're, we're smarter than that. We're not that dumb. God's people are not that dumb. If you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, how many know you know right from wrong? Are y'all with me? Uh, believe it, we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're much smarter than that. So everybody say justice. There's coming a time of justice in the earth where believers will rule and reign with Christ for this thousand years. Political corruption spent, no more, none of that. All right, number four, and I'll conclude with this. The millennial kingdom ends with one final battle. 
there's one final battle that takes place. Revelations chapter 20. Here it is. Revelation chapter 20. Now when the thousand years have expired, here it is. Satan will be released from prison. So he was in prison for a thousand years. That's why there was peace on the earth. No deception. All right. And he will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth one more time. One more time. You know, it's amazing today, and it's sad when you see a ruler of a nation when he's hurting his people and when he or she would be hurting them, and you know that you're like, that is so evil. It's because that leader is deceived. Are you with me? And they're, and they're, and they're, and they're operating out of this evilness. It's because they, they, have, they, have, they don't have truth in their heart, all right? So they just take the lies of the devil in, just like people every day, all right? They just, they believe the lies. Remember the lies. I taught you on spiritual warfare last summer. What are Ephesians chapter six, the fiery darts of the wicked one are the satanic suggestions of the enemy. They're the lies of the devil. And if you don't have truth coming up in your heart and truth in your mind, you just believe all that stuff. It just lies. Well, that's what the enemy does. He comes one last time. He's released to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. It's the second time we see Gog and Magog. The first time is the Battle of Armageddon. This is the second time. Gog is a ruler from the north. Magog is a confederate. Watch this. A confederation of nations that come against Israel twice. Battle of Armageddon and then this final battle. What are they doing? They're coming to gather together to battle, whose number as is the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. And the beloved city. Let me pause right there. The beloved city. Pastor, why is it, I want y'all to think about this. Why is it that this little piece of land that's smaller than New Jersey, the nation of Israel, why is it that if you turn on the nightly news or if you go on Fox or you watch CNN or you do any of the news day, why is it that there will just invariably be something, sometimes almost half of the news attached to that little part of the world? Why is that? I'll tell you why, because God called the city of Jerusalem his beloved city, and he hadn't taken that back. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. So just think about it. The final battle of all times is nations of the world. This is in the Bible, folks. Nations of the world gather around God's beloved city. And what happens? And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It's the last battle in history. The last battle that happens. And the devil, here it is, last time we see him in all the Bible, who deceived them was cast now not into the bottomless pit, but into the lake of fire, all right? And brimstone, where the beast, who is the beast? Who is the beast in the book of Revelation? Who is he? He's the Antichrist, a political leader, not a religious leader. That's why some people, you know, Pastor, you think the Antichrist, the Antichrist is not a religious leader. So it's never a religious leader. It's a political leader. The false prophet's a religious leader, and they work in tandem, by the way. So any religious leader, ooh, that's the Antichrist. Can't be. The beast is a political leader. Are y'all with me? So the beast and the false prophet were already in the fire, and now here comes the devil himself. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I believe that literally. I believe that literally. So, Pastor, this is heavy stuff. What's in the Bible? First, we see the end of the millennial reign. Go back now to my chart. After that happens, the first chart, that is, that is, happens right here. And then the great white throne judgment. 
And then the last week, next week, Revelation 21, 22 is the new heavens and the earth. I, I want to answer one question and then I'm done. Here's the question. Why? Why did Jesus and the angels of heaven, why, why did they bind Satan for a thousand years? Don't miss this. If you understand, in my opinion, if you understand this, this will really help you understand the Bible. All right. Why is it that he wasn't just annihilated right then? Well, why didn't Satan just, why did, he, why did he have to be released one more time? Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and I think it'll give you a clue. I want everybody to hear me. I got about three or four minutes, and I'm done. In the Garden of Eden, there's Adam and Eve, and they love God. God created them to love God. God introduced, watch this, an antagonist. Why did God in, introduce an antagonist? Because love is not love without the possibility of choice. Do you know arranged marriage is one of the challenges and drawbacks to arranged marriages is this. Here, here it is. I mean, if you arrange marriage, you, just, you kind of wake up next day, well, I didn't choose you. I didn't choose you either. You're pretty ugly. Well, you're definitely ugly. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just telling you. It's just, but we're stuck. Yeah, we are, you know. Well, See, see, the moment you, listen, the moment you chose your spouse or said yes to your spouse or whatever, whatever, let me just tell you something. The moment you said yes, guess what? You also said no to other people. Are y'all with me? So love is only love when there's the possibility to choose differently. Does this make sense? So in the beginning of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, now all of a sudden, Adam, or the serpent comes to lie and deceive and says, well, God didn't say that. What was he really trying to do? He was trying to get Adam and Eve to move their hearts away from relationship with God, move their hearts away from obedience with God, and to follow a different plan. Love is only love when there's the power and the possibility of choice. And by the way, that's all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible, mankind has had a choice to love God. You know this, God doesn't force you to love him. You have a choice to love and to serve God and to honor God and care for the things of God. You and I have a choice. So why, let's bring all of that, let's import that knowledge now to the millennial kingdom. Why is it important? Why did the devil just not get annihilated right when Christ came back? Because people are still going to be born during the millennial kingdom. And they have to have the option to choose or not choose. And at the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan's released. You know why? And by the way, people live longer in the millennial kingdom because there's no, listen, earth goes back to somewhat of a, 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 a garden of Eden existence. The decay's not there. There's righteousness and peace. and there's, so, so they live a lot longer. So what happens is I believe that Satan is released because God gives one final option for people to receive or reject him. Are y'all with me? And sadly enough, some reject Christ. At the end of all of that, you say, I'll tell you one thing, pastor. If I lived during that time, they would be, there's foolish to reject Christ. Why are they doing that? Be careful. How many Bibles are in your house? When was the last time you actually picked one up to read it? How many billboards? I mean, my God, how many Christian preachers on TV? How many churches on every corner of, of America? And, and yet, uh, so let's be careful judging when we've got ample opportunity to serve Christ. Now, are y'all with me? And let me just say one final thing. We don't have to, listen to me, I'm pressing you today. We don't have to wait to the millennial kingdom to rule and reign with Christ. Physically, we'll rule and reign with Christ then, but spiritually, we can rule and reign with Christ right now. Right now, right now, right now. Here's what the, one last scripture. 
First Peter, but you are, a cho- God's talking about us. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me just tell you something, friend. Don't let, you, don't let anybody ever tell you you're just forgiven. You are forgiven, but you're righteous. You're marked of God, called of God, anointed of God. Watch it. You are an overcomer. You're victorious in Christ. You're more than a conqueror in Christ. That's your inheritance as a Christian. You you, you don't have to be a slave of sin anymore. You don't have to be subject to that oppression, depression, repression. You're a child of God. You belong to Christ. You're a child of the King. You're a royal priesthood. That's what the Bible says about you. How many of y'all think that's good news? That's what the Bible says. Do you receive that? I want you guys to stand. Man, you got me preaching there. I got fired up there just for a moment. I get fired up every time I read the Bible. I get fired up every time. You need to know who you are in Christ. You're a child of God. You belong to Christ. You get your, you get your inside picture change of who you are in Christ. You're a man or a woman of God, an overcomer in God. Listen, regardless, listen, pastor, I had some people say, well, you know, some good godly men and women think that some things are going to happen differently. Fine. Whatever happens in the end, if you belong to God, you're an overcomer. Just remember that. That's the book of Revelation. I'm going to end this series next week. Then we got a new one. Before we do that, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Can we do that? And we're going to pray. If you're in this place today, say, Pastor, I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I die today, I'm ready to stand before God. I want to pray for you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. Do you know Christ? Are you sure if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? I can't save you. Our church can't save you. I'll tell you what I can do is I can point you to the one who saves. His name is Jesus. My work, my work and your work is to point others to Christ. We don't save, but we point point to Christ. Do you know Christ? Are you sure if you die today, you're ready to stand before him with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed? You say, pastor, I need Jesus. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me. If that's you, the kind of thing, I'm going to ask you all over this place and every one of our campuses just to lift your hand up high and say, pastor, I need Jesus. If that's you, one, two, three, quickly all over this place, just lift your hand up high so I can see it.